Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 33, Mirror Mirror. Wow, male voice for the computer. Should we, um, should we talk in female voices? No. Good. Welcome in, people, and other people, and alternate people, to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Let me flip a coin here. Ah, good. I'm this universe's Ken Ray. And I am this universe's John Champion. Lucky us, huh? Although you may not know it's me. I actually uh, shaved my goatee a few weeks ago. Oh, no way. I, I'm, I, really? <laughs> I, know, I don't think right? I'd be able to recognize you. It, well, it's and I, you know, I'm also wearing a Nehru jacket and a bunch of weird, <laughs> uh, weird medals for no for no apparent reason. I may, in fact, not be this universe's Ken Ray. Now that I think about it, uh, this is going to mess with me for the whole episode. And of course, this episode we're talking about Mirror Mirror, the first foray of Star Trek into an alternate universe. But wait, wait, whoa, whoa, it's whoa, not whoa. really the first foray into an alternate universe. Dude, now is it, Ken? What of Lazarus? <laughs> I was waiting. What? I was waiting for the reference to Lazarus. Of Lazarus. Yeah, My no. I mean, buddy. It, it, it's, and actually, and wow, we're getting to this really quick. Yeah. Before we get to this, actually, should we tell people how they can get in touch with us and why they should? Sure, of course we should. All right. You can reach us on Facebook, Skype, Twitter, all those places uh, using the handle Mission Log Pod. Mission Log Pod is that. Or you can call us 323 522 5641. 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And don't forget to check out our very nice home on the internet, missionlogpodcast.com. No place there to leave comments, but you can access all those other things I was talking about from there and give us your comments. And the reason you should do that is because we may use them on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Oh, yes, we may. Oh, yes, we may. Um, so the reason that I brought that up, I, I thought it was kind of funny that, you know, th- this is the mirror universe, the, the alternate universe that we all know and love. But we've had these little glimpses of alternate universes up until now, like Lazarus and uh, yeah. Well, like Lazarus. Well, like Lazarus. That's we had an alternate it. Kirk. We didn't have an alternate universe, but we had an alternate Kirk. Before. Yeah. Well, but, and, and we'll actually we'll, we'll revisit both of those characters um, in a little bit. I, I wonder, though, if this is sort of like... I mean, there's a weird familiarity with alternate universes among uh, Kirk and Scotty, especially. Surprise, surprise. Scotty's like a theoretical, not even a theoretical physicist. I don't know what you would call him exactly, but boy, he gets this whole he gets this whole alternate universe thing like about two minutes after they explain it to him. Right, <laughs> right. But the other thing yeah. is, I kind of wonder. Like, it, I don't want to say it's a failing. I don't want to say it's a fault. But it is kind of weird that really only five or six episodes ago we had the alternate universe idea. Mm-hmm. And now we're sort of having the alternate universe idea again for the first time. Yeah, but better because they had to fix it. <laughs> so, <laughs> what do you, yeah. Well, see, now I don't want to. I don't want to fight about. I, I think there were. I think there were benefits to the alternative factor. I think it was actually a better episode than apparently than almost everybody on the planet. <laughs> than everybody else in the world. All right. <laughs> but we're not doing that episode. We're doing mirror, mirror, and one of the things that we do every time we do a new episode. John Champion talks trivia. 
Hey, hey. Uh, this episode was written by Jerome Bixby. Now, he wrote uh, three other Star Trek episodes, and he also wrote a movie that uh, I think is underseen and underappreciated. It is called Man from Earth. Uh, it was the last thing that he wrote, and it was nearly... I want to say nearly 10 years after he passed away that it was turned into uh, this film starring Star Trek Enterprise actor John Billingsley. So if you like the writing of uh, Jerome Bixby, please check that out. Oh, hey, and he also wrote a very creepy episode of The Twilight Zone. You know the one, Billy Moomy making people disappear. Wow. Him. Yeah. Wow, really? Yep. So then he got... He got, he got uh, royalties off the 1980 movie as well then. Probably so. That's not a bad gig. Yeah, not bad. Uh, right. Uh, this episode, Mirror Mirror, was nominated for a Hugo Award in 1968. But you know what? For best dramatic presentation, everything was Star Trek, by the way. <laughs> uh, do you remember what won that year? Well, it was City on the Edge of Forever. So uh, literally every entry for that category in 1968 was Star Trek. So, but it, it had to be City on the Edge that won. Um, I wanted to point out the music. Uh, Alt Spock has a really cool bass line throughout this whole episode. I'm sure that we're all grooving out to that. And I uh, actually had a bit of a, a replay of the Romulan music that was created for Balance of Terror. They use that whenever you see the alternate Enterprise. So, you know, uh, I actually... Um not to, this was not the thing that I said we we're going to bring up Lazarus again, but I will say really quickly, mm. much better goatee. Mm, yes, on Alt Spock than on. Yeah, I don't know which one of the Lazari were the Alt Lazarus, but the one um, with the bandage or yeah, the one without the bandage. Much better, much much better uh, groomed. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Than uh, poor definitely. old Lazarus. They they increased their goatee budget between season one and season two on Star Trek. <laughs> and one last thing here that I just have to point out, it's not really uh, trivia, but it, it is very interesting, you know, that we, we don't like to step out of the timeline on Mission Log, but we're going to see pieces of this mirror universe again in the future and in other episodes of Star Trek because – it does get revisited uh, from time to time. What's really interesting to me is that this show, this single episode, kind of defines the whole idea of parallel universes in pop culture. I mean, even South Park, you had alternate Cartman with the goatee <laughs> looking like Spock. You know, So it, it's kind of funny to me. There, there's so many things of Star Trek that are current day that you know we say oh look cell phones and back when they came out the flip phone it's like a star trek communicator but this just as much the idea of a parallel universe has sort of invaded uh the pop culture oh and, and actually i i misspoke uh, that, that isn't my last bit of trivia i do have one last little thing here that i like um that mirror universe enterprise looks a little bit different from our regular enterprise that we know and love you have the little spikes on the nacelles you know so all of that stuff was uh, footage of the Enterprise from the second pilot, where no man has gone before. And I thought it was really cool that they kept that bit of continuity when they remastered in HD and did all the CGI effects. So that version of the Enterprise in the alternate universe is actually the old Enterprise that we saw in the second pilot. <laughs> My mission this week is bringing me down. I should be figuring out how to destroy you people, and charting a course for the next people to destroy. 
I am officially not a fan of alternate universes. Prologue. Kirk, Scotty, Uhura, and McCoy are on a planet discussing the peaceful acquisition of some dilithium from the Hawkins. The Hawken leader is on principle okay with the idea, but he doesn't have a guarantee that the Federation will always use the crystals for peaceful pursuits. The Hawkins are such pacifists that they would rather die than know that they were even partly responsible for someone else's death. Kirk is ready to give them a little breathing room, and just about the time they're ready to beam up, an ion storm is wreaking havoc on the Enterprise. They beam up anyway, but they kind of fade in and out and... Kirk and the rest of the landing party find that their uniforms have changed, and so has the transporter room. And come to think of it, so have the logos, and so has the transporter chief. And most egregious of all, Spock now has a goatee like he just stepped out of a coffee house in Greenwich Village. It's all very odd, but Kirk keeps his cool long enough to not completely freak out and give up the idea that he has no idea what's going on. Bearded Spock snaps into order and calls the bridge to tell Sulu that he should get ready to blast the Hawkins out of existence. He then goes to Mr. Kyle, the transporter chief, and lectures him about a job poorly done. The lecture comes with the use of an agonizer, which puts Kyle into um, agony for a little while. Act 1. There was a transporter malfunction. I mean, come on, didn't anyone watch The Enemy Within? And Kirk swiftly covers for his landing party by saying that they should all be checked out by McCoy. Now alone in sickbay, Kirk is starting to put together the pieces. It's the Enterprise, but nothing is quite as they know it. Stuff is misplaced, and it all has a much more, oh, shall we say, fascistic vibe to it. What if, Kirk posits, just what if the transporter malfunctioned during the ion storm put them into an alternate or parallel, if you will, universe? Kirk starts hatching a plan to buy them some time. He dispatches Scotty to the engine room to disable the phasers. Uh, at least the Hawkins will live another day. And they've all got to get to the bottom of the transporter malfunction to find a way back home. Home being the nice universe they just left. Since everyone pretty much has the same job, Kirk dispatches Uhura to the bridge to get an idea of what's happening. Sulu, hey, remember how he was in the naked time all leering and making eyes at Uhura? Well, he's pretty much up to that in this universe, only more sinister. Saved just in time by Kirk stepping onto the bridge, Sulu is all ready to fire on the Hawkins. Kirk delays the order, and now the alt versions of everyone are getting very suspicious. Scotty, by the way, couldn't get into the phaser bank, which means Kirk has got to stall on his own now. Spock is trigger-happy, too, so he's already planning another target. Kirk asks Uhura to contact the Hawkins to talk. Yeah. Talking is not exactly how things get done on the Alt-Enterprise. The Hawken leader, looking a bit more defeated in this universe, says that no matter what, they're not going to give up any dilithium. They might as well start shooting now. Kirk leaves the bridge to go to his quarters, and who should follow close behind? Chekhov. alt Chekhov, that is. He pulls a phaser on Kirk in the corridor and is ready to advance his rank by bumping off the captain. A very odd captain, by the way, who won't do the basic things like wiping out an entire civilization in order to get some dilithium. Act 2. Chekhov is ready to fire, but at the last second, another crewman overpowers him and knocks the phaser away. Oh, he also kills a couple of Chekhov's goons. Mighty kind of him. 
but that move wasn't entirely altruistic. This crewman is just looking for a favor from the captain and hoping for a better gig than Chekhov promised. Figuring out this game, Kirk punches out this ambitious young man, and he consents to have Chekhov sent to the booth. Now in his quarters, Kirk is explaining a little of this culture of the ship to his own crewman, Scotty and McCoy. Try not to get killed. As they try to put together more pieces, they turn to the library computer, voiced in this universe by a man. Everything really is upside down now, isn't it? Kirk starts asking questions about the ion storm and what possible effects it could have on the transporter. The computer basically says, oh yeah, that is totally a ticket to visit a parallel universe. Fortunately, the computer also confirms that they can kind of, sort of, reverse it. He copies the instructions for Scotty so he and McCoy can try to figure out how to, you know, make that happen. And soon. Scotty is okay with that. He can automate the transporter and Uhura will distract Sulu on the bridge to make sure that no one knows what they are up to. Just as a gag, by the way, they also look up their own personnel files from the alternate universe. Kirk, it seems, assassinated just about everyone who stood in front of him, including our old friend Christopher Pike. Hey, while we're reminiscing, how about we check in with the real USS Enterprise and see how the alt versions of Kirk, Scotty, McCoy, and Uhura are doing? Cut to an awful lot of barking out orders and threats, and our Mr. Spock is just having none of it. They're all going into the brig. That was fun. You know what they do for fun on the Alt-Enterprise? Well, it's not so much a brig as it is a torture chamber, which is where they now have Chekhov. Kirk relents to let him stay in there since it might further give it away if he shows any mercy. Alt-Spock pushes Kirk a little more to carry out the plan that they destroy the Hawkins. It's the way things are done in this universe, and terror is, logically, how they maintain order. Kirk wonders if this isn't necessarily the best path to be on, which makes Spock a little more suspicious. A couple of well-placed threats are exchanged before Kirk retires to his quarters, only after ordering Chekhov's release from the booth. Now in his quarters, well, his alt-versions quarters, Kirk is a little surprised, though probably no less pleased, to find a woman in his bed. She's Marlena, and she's also a little suspicious of his recent decisions like not destroying the Hawkins. She figures he knows what he's doing, and she's glad to be by his side, since the Kirk she knows is always victorious. A kiss is interrupted by a call from Spock, who has some important news, which he's actually not supposed to share, but, you know, even in this universe, they are friends. Starfleet has contacted Spock privately to order him to kill Kirk and assume command if he doesn't carry out the orders to fire on the primary Hawken target by dawn. Act 3. Marlena is helping Kirk strategize about what to do with Spock or anyone else in his way. It reminds him of the Tantalus device, a little piece of stolen alien technology in his quarters that apparently Alt-Kirk has been using to erase anyone he so chooses. The Tantalus has a monitor, and now we're tuned into Mr. Spock. The push of a button, and he can be completely wiped out. Kirk declines. Now the race is on to get off this alternate Enterprise since Kirk has a death sentence hanging over him. He's in touch with Scotty, who is still working on the transporter system. It's actually worse than a three-hour window. They've got to leave in a half an hour, or that rift between the two universes will close for good. Oh, and by the way, all this computer activity has made Alt-Spock a little more suspicious of the captain, and he launches his own investigation into what's going on. Back in Kirk's quarters, Marlena 
is in full-on seduction mode, but this is more of a ploy to maintain her position of power as the captain's woman. She's fed up with Kirk's duties, but she still wants the privilege it affords her. Now, since this is good Kirk and not alt-Kirk, he's more about the pep talk, telling Marlena that she can be anything she wants to be and less about her being a kept woman. He takes off for the transporter room and to meet up with the rest of his real crew. Scotty is just about ready. He's making some final adjustments, and Uhura is playing a little game of seduction with Alt-Sulu to distract him on the bridge. Kirk is working the transporter console, and in walks Spock. In addition to that roguish beard, he's also got a phaser aimed right at Kirk. The game is up. He takes Kirk to sick bay where the rest of the landing party are to meet. Fortunately, once there, the rest of that landing party take on Alt-Spock and knock him unconscious with a blow to the head. They're all ready to leave him for dead, but the good Dr. McCoy is ready to save him. Who should walk in at that moment but Sulu and his own henchmen, all ready to pull a Chekhov and assassinate Kirk, but also leave Spock for dead. This is his chance to gain rank. Act 4. Before battle can break out, the henchmen start disappearing. Cut to Kirk's quarters, and there's Marlena working the Tantalus device. Seems like she's had a change of heart. It also seems like she's been eavesdropping on everything this Kirk has been doing. Spock is almost awake, but McCoy needs a little more time with him. The rest head to the transporter room, leaving McCoy with Alt-Spock. Good thing, too, with the rest of the group heading to the transporter room, when Alt-Spock regains consciousness, he forces McCoy into a mind meld. Now he finally understands what's going on. In the transporter room, Marlena is waiting and begs Kirk to take her with them. He can't. So she begs with a phaser pointed at him. Uhura jumps in to wrestle it away from Marlena. Now there's a new problem. The main power isn't working, but auxiliary is. This means someone will have to stay behind to work the controls. Kirk insists that he be the one. In walks Alt-Spock and McCoy. It turns out bearded Spock was the one who cut the power in order to cause a diversion and get McCoy to where he belongs. Alt-Spock would rather things go back to their previous order and get his own captain back. In the brief time before their beam-out, Kirk makes an impassioned plea to Alt-Spock to use his logic and integrity to change the universe he is in. He can't summon the future, but he can change the present. Oh, and if you need a little help, there's a little thing in the captain's quarters called a Tantalus device. You should really check it out sometime. Back on their own Enterprise... Our crew are chattering on the bridge about how barbaric those alt versions of themselves were. Spock, of course, found their honesty to be refreshing. In walks a new lieutenant, Marlena, looking every bit like her alt-universe counterpart, except for a little less revealing uniform. Kirk is stumped for a minute. When Spock asks about her, Kirk replies that she just seems like a nice girl and that they could become friends. The end. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of plot. That's a lot that of plot. That's a lot of plot. Now, you left out uh, a part that it surprises me that you left it out. Did mm-hmm. did Kirk basically not suggest to Alt-Spock that when Alt-Kirk comes back, he should use the Tantalus device and kill Alt-Kirk? Well, so that's the thing. He says, you know, go to my quarters. There's a tantalus device. He doesn't exactly say what to do with it. But before that, when he's making the impassioned plea for, which we're going to get to a bit later, but when he's making the whole plea of, you know, hey, you know, let's start trying to change some stuff in this universe. Not that I care because I'm going to be in the other one, but I do care because I'm Kirk. Yeah. 
uh, he says, yeah, become captain. And right, then, right. And then save this planet and make it stick. Yeah, yeah. And he, then he when Spock's like, yeah. yeah. And then Spock's like, well, I, I don't know how I do that. <laughs> and then Kirk's like, oh, well, there's a thing that'll uh, just yeah. wipe people out. Well, but, you know, that's kind of Kirk. Kirk, uh, good Kirk is willing to stay behind on bad Enterprise and probably be killed. Yeah. So he figures, well, he's Kirk. The other guy is Kirk. I'm going to make that call. I would sacrifice myself if it means that a guy like Spock can make the changes that he needs to make. Again, he shouldn't necessarily have to care except that he's Kirk because (laughs) what happens in that universe stays in that universe unless we have a transporter malfunction. Now there is another problem. What's that? If Spock kills Kirk in the alternate universe, does Kirk in our universe die or Kirk in Kirk's universe die? No. Why not? Because everybody else, because everybody else got there. (laughs) Everybody else has gotten through things. happen, but before the beam out, Things yeah. happen in the same way, yeah. Right. In both universes, like like there's a there's an acid spell in sick bay, and what was McCoy doing with acid? But okay, right. <laughs> there's an acid spell in sick bay, um, in both universes. Right. So some things happen exactly the same way, and we have the exact same crew. Right. So right. in the alternate universe, Chekhov didn't you know fall and break his leg and not make it to the academy and not become you know, a member of the Enterprise crew. Right, right. Scotty is still missing part of a finger in both. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> and in fairness, there's really not a lot they could have done about that. That's really, in that's real life. Yeah. Horribly inappropriate. I apologize. I, okay. you know, send your letters to John because I, <laughs> just because I don't want him. Um, <laughs> if Kirk is suggesting that Alt Spock kill Alt Kirk, it almost seems like he might be signing his own death warrant. Uh, well, uh, but here's the thing. I, I'm willing to suspend disbelief enough to say that the, the universes are separate uh, until you have an accident like that, that, you know, one action in one universe does not impact the other universe. And and I also have to assume that there are a lot of alternate universes. And, and that's kind of the, the, the weird conceptual thing that you have to wrap your, your mind around <laughs> yeah. here. You know, because they they could have ended up in the one where the Enterprise is still commanded by Pike, evil Pike. They could have ended up in one where the Tolosians have captured every human and they're all just living in a cage. Or Dr. Corby was successful and he replaced everyone with androids or everything is just clowns. Just all of it. (laughs) Just clowns everywhere all the time. And so funny because we both both thought the exact same thing. I mean, if you're not... Clowns. Clowns, yeah. I mean, that was actually... My thought was, if you're not going to explore the duality of man like we did in, you know, Enemy Within or the alternative factor, mm-hmm. um, then why not really examine the whole multiple universe thing? Because it's not it's not black or white, up or down, one or the other. It's not good or bad. Right. You know, unless I mean, unless that's the story you're going to tell. So you uh, well, could, yeah, you could yeah, have yeah. one where like everybody's. Well, you wouldn't even call it a transvestite. You could have one where men wore dresses and women wore pants, and that's just the way it was, where Kirk's walking around wearing a halter top, exposing his midriff. <laughs> right. And Marlena, right. you know, is like, you know, wearing yeah. a sort of a sashed up, you know, kind of thing, but still, mm-hmm. you know, very mm-hmm. much a male outfit. And it wouldn't be it wouldn't be weird. And everything else is exactly the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Just, I mean, you, you've got you've got just enough that is the same in this universe. Yeah. But you have just enough that's different. Like, there's a whole lot of other universes to, exactly. to go through. 
Yeah, yeah. they just happened to land in that one. And good thing. Yeah. There's, there's one where everybody says penguin at the end of every sentence. Penguin. <laughs> For some reason. Can we talk really quickly? I don't know why I didn't do this when we actually did um, Dagger of the Mind. Mm-hmm. I, think it was, I think it was the recurrence of the Tantalus name. Made mm-hmm. me actually want to study a bit more, find out a bit more about that name. Because yeah. I knew there was an association with, okay, the, well, the prison and somebody's held and okay, fine. But I went and looked at it a little bit more. The Tantalus, um, well, Tantalus was this character in Greek mythology, uh, son of a human and a god, you know, like like you do. Yeah. Um, he so offended the gods, according to something I came across. I, I looked it up a couple of places. This particular uh, description comes from something called mythweb.com. Uh, um, he so offended the gods that he was condemned in the afterlife to an eternity of hunger and thirst. Uh, he was made to stand in a pool uh, in the underworld zone of punishment. Each time he reached down for the water... Um, the water would drain away. And then each time he reached up above him for the fruit that was hanging um, from the trees, the uh, the boughs of the fruit would, would sort of um, recede. They would go mm-hmm. higher up. So basically mm-hmm. he's trapped in this constant yeah, hunger and thirst and everything he wants is right there, but he can't quite get it. Um, according to the thing on uh, MythWeb, uh, that's actually where the word tantalize comes from. Ah, okay. There is absolutely no reason for the device in this episode to be called the Tantalus device. Because you pretty much get exactly what you want when you use the Tantalus device. Well, you get exactly what you want when you use the Tantalus device, but it doesn't really, unless it is sending somebody to a place where they're going to be hungry or thirsty. (laughs) And there's food and there's water, but they can't have it. I mean, this is pretty much just winking people out of existence. Yeah. In a way that, uh, you know, Phaser 2 does all over this ship as well. Uh, phaser number two. Phaser number two, yes. <laughs> right. exactly. Sorry. <laughs> Didn't mean to offend you. Um, so, I mean, it was just, I mean, it, it's, it, was, it made me want to go back and look into it, and now I don't know why it was called that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess right. that's my point. Unless, I, I was kind of curious, too, maybe there is an alternate universe that's filled with all of the people from this universe that have been zapped by Kirk using the Tantalus device. Because we don't know oh. for certain that they're dying. Right, right. They're right. just disappearing. Well, and you know that that made me think of another thing, though. Like I said, you raised the question about does it have an effect in our universe? I say no, and I would have liked to have seen Marlena when she was using the Tantalus device. Just go ahead and kill Sulu. Just why not? Just take out a major cast member in the alternate universe because it's okay that they'll still be back no. in the regular universe. But I, I thought that would have been. Kind of a cool. It was a little obvious. Oh, we're going to take out the guys with no names, but we're going to leave Sulu there. I mean, you really can't consider the science of this at all. No, I mean, (laughs) that's the thing. You can't because it seems to me that what they've set up is one thing that happens in this universe does affect what happens in the other universe. I mean, witness the fact again that everybody is on the Enterprise. All the same people are on the Enterprise. Although there's a bit of um, there's a bit of a continuity. There's a bit of discontinuity. Um, with with Marlena, she says yeah. that she's been, you know, Kirk's woman. I mean, they've been together so long that he, you know, they practically break into you don't bring me flowers, you don't sing me love songs, <laughs> right? I mean, they're together, but they've been together for so long and Kirk doesn't kiss her the way he used to and he doesn't talk to her the way he used to and he doesn't take out the trash unless she nags him. I mean, they've been, you know, they've been together for a while. And yet in our universe, she only got there last week. 
Well, that's what I'm saying. It's different enough, and and those things don't always have to happen. Like but, the, the acid spot, they're, they're kind of it's a little giveaway, you know. But well, no, the acid yeah. spot's a bit of discontinuity. I mean, you either have everything happening the same way, and everybody is still there. I mean, like that. Maybe that would have been more interesting if there had been. Well, I mean, it would obviously it would have given everything away if they had come through the transporter and it had been like, "Who are you?" You know, to yeah, one right. of the characters, like, "Yeah, who's right. who's the Scotsman?" No, right. we wiped out the Scots. God, when was that? <laughs> like twenty one hundred, I think. We just bombed Scotland. <laughs> we don't even. We don't even. No, we don't even say Scotland anymore. This guy has to go. Um, and it it, it it seems to me that they've set it up that everything is the same, but I don't know. There's there's yeah. a bit of discontinuity there, as they say. Hey, I do want to bring up uh, a couple other points here. Um, something about the the logic of uh, the Hawkins mm-hmm. that you know their their ethics to me are a bit short sighted. Um, I'm glad that they are so committed to peace, but um, I I think that you know that. No society could last that long if they absolutely will not uh, defend themselves. You know, um, it, it seems like they would have been taken over uh, a long time ago. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think I referred to them in my notes as meat. Yeah, well, yes, meat would be the appropriate they're, word. They're so peaceful that they won't even defend themselves, nor will they capitulate in our timeline and in, in good Kirk's timeline. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, would, yeah. They, they would be meat. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I have made an argument. I mean, go back to the Corbinite maneuver, the episode that we did for the Corbinite maneuver. <laughs> Stand by your principles. You hope that that's what you would do. And, you know, you're going to get rolled over yeah, yeah. if you are these guys. What's weird is how did they get to that point, though? I know, right. Because right. they know what dilithium crystals are. They yeah. know what they can do. They understand their power. Uh, but they're content to just sit there in togas on a Diaz with nothing else around. I mean, I wonder, I, think, I wonder if they're actually, if they are sort of along the lines of the Organians or something like that, if, they're, if they have more power than we're led, led to see. Well, except they say that they're going to be killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that could be part of the picture. Or, you know, they could have uh, known Apollo because you mentioned that they're wearing togas. And uh, as I mentioned, Apollo is really into fashion design. So uh, there could have been a little crossover there. Um, I, 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 I kind of uh, – there's something about Kirk, uh, a couple of things about Kirk here. Uh, first of all, he describes with quite a bit of lucidity the whole uh, beam-up process, uh, how he, he was conscious of beaming up and fading in and fading out and seeing this and seeing that. Nobody else seemed to be aware of it, uh, but Kirk just seemed to be fine with the whole thing. And I had to wonder if that's how beaming up actually works in the – Star Trek universe. I, I never thought it did. I thought it was instantaneous and that um, there would be a, a, like a loss of consciousness during that. But not for Kirk. He was watching the whole thing. Well, except in um, yeah, Out of the Timeline, blah, 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 Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, Kirk, oh, they're having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Kirk and yeah, Savick yeah. are actually talking yeah. during the beam-up process, which is kind of a neat like, you know, audio thing when you're, when you're watching it. Right. But I it do does like also – it also – I wonder if that's just the difference in what we're able to do with special effects, because right. you know they're they're obviously, I mean, the special effects from the '60s. It's a still shot of Kirk. I mean, they're 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 stopping on one or two frames. They right. Might, they might be rocking the, um, they might be rocking it a little bit so that you don't get the green. 
Um, right. But I mean, it's a, it's a still shot. Yeah. And so in the 80s, when we're able to actually, you know, have them move while right. they're transporting, then they go ahead and uh, then they go ahead and do that. Right. Hey, did you notice how uh, when we use the Tantalus device to show Spock in his quarters, that he's just sitting there kind of contemplating? Yeah. I, mean, I thought that was very interesting. That that's what he does in his free time. You know, he's not uh he's not surfing the web, he's not he's just sitting, just staring. Well, we've seen that before though. I can't remember which episode it was, but there was something where he's supposed to be computing something. And oh, yeah. and, and Scotty says, You need to be doing something and Spock's right. like, I am. <laughs> right. And and you know, to all outward appearances, no he's not. But but he certainly is. He's kind of got a mentat thing going with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah, always working the mind, always going. Um, I'll also point out uh, not to uh, step too far out of the timeline here, but Alt Kirk cheated his way to the top with stolen technology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just going to float that out there. What? <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't he? Well, of course. Cause, I mean, you find it, you use it. What I found interesting actually was um, we had talked in um, which one had. Um, Kodos, the executioner. Conscience of the king. Conscience of the king. Thank you very yeah. much. Um, Kirk, the executioner. We talked yeah. about whether or not he would have been that thing. In right. this in this universe, absolutely. The only problem is, since that's the way everybody advances, um, he would just be Kirk and executioner. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk <laughs> one of many. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Kirk, one of the executioners, which is not nearly as uh, not nearly as impressive sounding. There well, was... and you, you do have to kind of question the, the the logic and the reality of everybody advancing by execution because you're going to thin their herd very very quickly. Yeah, you yeah. know, and you're not going to have much of a crew left at all. It doesn't. It, it doesn't work. No, I mean that. It. I mean it. It just doesn't. But we. I think we might be talking about that in just a little bit. There was one other thing that I wanted to hit, and we should probably yeah, actually yeah. get to the topics at some point because sure. I don't know though. It's it's a rich episode. The thing is, the topics are are kind of thin, but the stuff to play with is kind of incredible. So yeah, mm-hmm, we'll mm-hmm. keep doing this. To heck with yeah, it. there you um, go. Yeah. So Vulcans apparently are the ultimate bad guys. I I, I, I love Enforcer <laughs> Spock. Well, I think we all do. But I mean, there's like I mean, this Spock. I mean, this he might actually be the weakest of the Vulcans. Maybe he's still. I assume he's still half human in this uh, mm. in this universe as he is in the other. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's fairly logical. He doesn't immediately. I mean, the second you know, if Sulu had been Kirk's second in command, mm-hmm. pretty much within three minutes of coming back through the transporter, he'd have been dead. Yeah, right. Spock, right. on the other hand, is is very calculating and very you know, he's like Spock basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a thing where they're discussing. Okay, so if Kirk dies, then Spock becomes captain and that will make sulu second in command and sulu makes it pretty clear that if 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 uh, spock does not mind his p's and q's once he's captain uh, sulu will kill him right and spock says my operatives would avenge my death and some of them are vulcans yeah and sulu who's like walking around with henchmen who's the head of security who uh, right. i think uh like the ancient gestapo uh mm-hmm. scotty had said <laughs> right um you know is is freaked out yeah, the idea that Vulcans might come after him, so they're they're apparently the ultimate bad guys. And yet, good thing in the alternate universe, um, they're they're pretty gentle with the mind meld, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> because when he goes into Bones, you know, mind when he starts, you know, our minds are one. Yeah, you know, he, he forces that on him. He yeah. absolutely forces that on him, but he's apparently pretty gentle. 
yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> while he's doing it, because I mean, it would have been very easy for him to look like going in looking for the information that he you know wants. I mean, it's it's kind of nice that even in the alternate universe, the Vulcan is saying, "Our minds, uh, your thoughts, my thoughts, our minds are becoming one," as opposed to, "Dude, I'm going for your cranium." Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. You got something I need. I'm just going to root around until I find it, and I'll you know, and if I make a mess, so be it. Well, I think about and Bones now has seen all the horror of what's going on in the alternate universe because that mind meld. Remember, it's a two way street. No, oh, good point. So, yeah, so he he's getting all of that as well. Yeah, yeah. but he'll be fine. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> By next week, it'll all be forgotten. And <laughs> we may rediscover the idea of alternate universes again. We just don't know. <laughs> Quick question. If one universe is a mirror of the other... And if the computer in the one you know is usually female, why didn't Kirk and Bones transport up as women? So I said in the last segment, John, that um, the messages in this episode are kind of thin. I don't mean thin like there's nothing there. I just mean there aren't that many of them. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think when you and I were – we talked about it just before we started recording. um, There was pretty much one message Mm -hmm. And it's delivered very succinctly right? and at the very end. And, and, and it seemed like, wow, we're going to do a whole show about two minutes of the show. <laughs> and so I started doing the whole thing, you know, that, that we, sort of the themes that we hit every week. Well, is, is, the, is the Federation being colonial? Well, no. In fact, right. they're being decidedly not colonial. Yeah. It is pointed out to, uh, to Kirk by the guys down on the planet that uh, they could – this is when he's still good Kirk or, you know, our universe is Kirk or, or the Kirk that we know in the universe that we know. Mm-hmm. He points out to him, you know, you're strong enough. You can just take the dilithium crystals from us. <laughs> right. And Kirk's right. like, yeah, but we're not going to. So, but and, that, and we want the opportunity to prove our ethics to you. Right. you come know? That, come yeah. back in 5,000 years. And if you still <laughs> haven't forced the dilithium crystals from us, then maybe we'll give them <laughs> <Right>. to you. <laughs> Probably not, though, because you still might do something bad with them at some point. Right. So, no, the Federation's not being colonial. Okay, cool. Well, it must be being sexist, right? I mean, Star Trek is sexist. Star Trek is sexist. I mean, look at the uh, look at the outfit Uhura is wearing. Mm. And then I started thinking about it. Mirror, mirror. It seems to me is a decidedly not sexist episode. I mean, uh, despite the outfit. And and by the way, it is hard for me to ignore the outfit. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. See, the, the, this is where Star Trek stops being sexist and John and Ken start being sexist, Oh, yeah, right? totally. I, you know, <laughs> oh, I, I'm not even going to read what I had in my note here. But, no, but uh, yeah, I mean, everybody looks fabulous in this, but particularly uh, Uhura and Marlena. Yeah, they're not, they're, they're not looking bad. Yeah. No, so okay, great but here's design. The thing. And, but yeah. here's the thing. Despite her outfit, yeah. because, I mean, they could have made her eye candy. Or they could have made her just eye candy. Uh, Despite her outfit, she is in control to a large extent. Uh, She fends off Sulu when she has to. And then Mm -hmm. she uses his interest to play him like a fiddle Mm -hmm. when she needs to forward their mission. There are sexist attitudes around her, but she is using her sexuality as a tool. As opposed to, you know, like we talked about uh, the... um, I don't know why I can never remember her name, but the uh, the robot and what are the little girls made of? 
Sherry Jackson. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. She's sexy. And that's pretty much yeah. what she's there to be. And, right, you know, right. I mean, I know that uh, part of the plot turns on her, but pretty much she is there as a pleasure bot. So using their sexuality for their own advantage, it seems to me, is, is very different than the kinds of sexism that we normally see in Star Trek. Now, I right. will also say um, this, is, this, is, this is an Uhura episode. She is not the star of it, but not unlike uh, the pep talk she got from Spock and Who Mourns for Adonai, uh, mm-hmm. we get the same sort of support for her from Kirk. She's kind of freaked out about going to the bridge alone, and she should be, Yeah, <laughs> you know, because – She's in an alternate universe where where people are very militaristic and, you know, might die. But, you know, she's like – she starts to say that she's afraid and Kirk goes over and says, Uhura, you're the only one who can do this. Now, as communications officer, technically she is in fact the only one who can do it. But it's also a show of support for her. Mm -hmm. And this again is kind of awesome. She is a woman. She is black. It's Mm -hmm. 1968 and yet everything hinges on her. Yeah. And that's pretty neat. And then, and then the last thing I'll say about her, she's action Uhura. Yes, she uh, she gets the, to go and get in and throw a punch. Uh, yeah. Well, two with well, several. She's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's in on the fight with Spock, right? And she, and you know she doesn't cower. She doesn't go back in the corner. She doesn't wait for everything to die down. She jumps in full force. Um, and then when Marlena has the drop on Kirk, she takes her out. I mean, yeah. she's like, you just, you just you, you, I'm, you know what? We got 10 minutes to get back to our universe. I don't have time for this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so she just grabs the gun. Hey, good for her. And so to me, it was exciting to see, like, you know, to look at it from the sort of the you know, sexism angle and find out, no, no, quite the opposite. Yeah. They, they turn it on its head. I, I agree with you. The, the moment between her and Sulu where she's kind of seducing him and then saying, no, this is a game. And then I push you away and you pursue me. All right. That, that is a sexist construct. Um, but they redeem it because she is playing to his base nature, what she understands about this Sulu. So you, you take that sexism, totally upend it and give her the power. You know what's and interesting? It, Mm-hmm. It's a sexist construct that she brought from our universe, though. That's very true. Yeah. yeah Sulu yeah, didn't know that. True. Sulu yeah. wasn't like, ah, we're doing the cat and mouse thing. You know, Sulu right. was like, I want you. I don't want you. Oh, bummer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I still want you. you know, yeah, he's yeah, not yeah. He's not getting the whole, oh, sure you do. No does not mean yes yeah. it, in, the, in the universe that that Sulu is in. No means yeah. no. And so, you know. You'll try right. to get no to mean yes at some point, but until it does, you just assume that no means no. Well, let's talk about the the relative role then of Marlena. Okay. Because that, that's a whole other thing. And, you know, I, I think there is a way to define this as a, a, a sexist relationship that they have up until the point that we get good Kirk in the alternate universe. Because she is, she is a kept woman. And she is there because she essentially has no other power other than being the captain's woman. But but it takes good Kurt to come in and say, no, 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 this is not how it works. You get to be whatever you want to be. No, I, dis- I disagree with your uh, assessment there. Really? I mean, yeah, obviously he, he does say you get to be what you want to be. I'm not saying that. But mm-hmm. um, when she is talking about how their relationship is sort of deteriorated over what sounds like it was more than a week. Mm-hmm. um. She she goes and 
inexplicably puts on more clothes to try to seduce Kirk <laughs> right. and says, oh, sorry, you don't get to see this side of me very often. It's hard to be a, a woman and a full-time officer. Or it's hard mm-hmm. to be seductive and a full-time officer. I can't remember exactly how she says it. But she basically says, you know, I'm a working woman. I can't just, I can't just, you know, look pretty at the drop of a hat. I got stuff to do. She's serving as, as, a, as an officer. She says that. We don't know what her capacity is. We don't know what it is that she does. Oh, yes, well, we she, do, actually. She, she, she does work in the chem lab. She does work in the chem lab because they yeah. had a spill there. That's right. right. Not, much, much messier than the Christmas party. Probably, <laughs> probably yeah, yeah. so. Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, you're right. She does talk about being a captain's woman, and that obviously has a certain rank of its own. But she's doing something. She's not just the captain's woman. Well, she is, but I feel like the, the context of the conversation is her saying – you know, she's impressed by his power and she, she's the one who's encouraging him to use his power. And I, that's what I take away from the conversation. She's into that. And maybe their relationship is deteriorated to that point that that's all she sees in him anymore. It could be, but I, I do feel a, a bit of a, um, well, like I said before, I, I feel like she is in this less powerful position and she's kind of riding his coattails, but it takes good Kirk to turn that around, hmm. you know, and hopefully she is a better person for it. I think by the end of the episode, we see that she is a better person for it. Well, I think she's going to be a better person because when Alt Kirk gets back, Spock's going to kill him and they're going to end <laughs> right. up together. I really I mean, I really do actually think that, I mean, if you want to do the whole so what happens after this episode thing. Yeah, yeah. I really do think that that um, the speech which we're going to get to in about 30 seconds. I really do think that the speech, I mean, there's still going to be one bad thing that's going to happen. And that one bad thing I'm fairly certain is going to be that Spock is going to kill Kirk Yeah. in the alternate universe. I have a feeling at that point, he and Marlena, whether they become romantically involved or whether they're just like, okay, well, we actually know how things should be now. And right. we've got this thing that's going to make it possible for us to affect that change. So let's go ahead and start doing that. But forgive me, I actually got a little bit ahead. Talk about the talk about Kirk's um, talk about yeah. Kirk's thing at the end. His big his big his you see to me. Well, yeah, I mean, it, Kirk uses word jujitsu on Spock. <laughs> you know, we've talked about Kirk using word jujitsu on computers. Yep. But here he uses it on Spock. And, and we've, we've I, talked about Spock being a mentat, which is a human computer. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> And I absolutely love that moment so much. Um, Spock saying, you've got to go, you've got to go, you've got two minutes. And Kirk says, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to make that two minutes count. And boom, you know, he, he pulls up every uh, faculty of the great Kirk speech. Thank you, Kirk speech writers, including Jerome Bixby. <laughs> um, and it's a terrific moment where he makes this terrific argument, and it's a really great way to drive home that friendship that Kirk has with his own Spock. Because even in the alternate universe, they are friends, they have a relationship built on uh, uh, trust, and it, it's cool to see that play out even with these different versions of themselves. But what's really interesting to me is that to make this argument, Kirk, yes, Spock is his friend, but Kirk turns to the one person on board who is pure logic to make a moral argument. Um, he, he doesn't try to appeal to somebody emotionally 
uh, about, well, what you're doing is wrong just because it's wrong. No, no, no. He goes to logic. And we've had a lot of fun in this episode. It's, you know, about the, the mystery of where they are and how they're going to get out of it. Um, but we like to talk about morals and meanings here on Mission Log. And, and this one really resonated with me uh, because it made me think not about a specific moral lesson, but about how we approach morals. You know, it's kind of like in the past, Ken, when you and I have said, hey, this episode made me think of the death penalty, even though this episode is not about the death penalty. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt that way about morality watching this. So the alternate universe is just full of insanity, and it has corrupted everyone in it. You know, they, they fight and they kill because it is the norm, and they don't know any other way. But Kirk makes this appeal to logic, not to dogma, as a way out of this mess. Um, are you familiar with uh, a guy called Sam Harris? I am not. Okay. So Sam Harris is many things to many people, but primarily he is a neuroscientist and he is an extremely controversial uh, author. And he wrote a book called The Moral Landscape. He, he is a modern day moral philosopher. And he basically makes this argument that says that we have to approach morality from a scientific, nay, logical point of view. He's saying that we have evolved as moral creatures specifically because of our need to interact as social beings. And, um, you know, again, this is not an episode. Sam Harris's book only came out in the 2000s. Here's a show written 40 years before that. So they, they are not, they're not related to each other in any way. But they share this idea that I think Kirk is expressing to Spock here. He's saying that it is logical to be moral, and it is part of who you are to be moral. I don't need to preach to you. I just need to appeal to that part of you that understands that there is a better way yeah. out of this. You know? Well, it's, it's an interesting idea. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that had occurred to me was – this is a fun episode and it's neat to see, you know, the differences and sort of the, you know, the sort of Elseworlds idea if you're, mm-hmm. if you're a DC fan. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the whole idea of you move up in rank by killing the person ahead of you. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a fun little, it's a fun little thing to play with. We don't get starships that way. I mean, right. this is a way that societies begin, I think, but not a way that civilizations begin. You know what I mean? I mean, you kind of you kind of group behind the strong guy, and you either group behind the strong guy looking for weakness or looking for him to protect you. But at some at at some point, we stop, you know, with that, right? It's not just it's not it's not just might makes right. At, At at some point, or else I mean, or else we would never we wouldn't even be as advanced as we are right now, let alone as advanced as you know we're theoretically going to be in the time of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a that's a really interesting uh it's a really interesting argument. Yeah, I I just thought that you know, it, it has to be Spock because Spock is the one on board with the power at this point. All Spock is the one on board with the power. Um but it it really says something about um how we get to be better than we are. You know? Yeah. Uh, by by appealing to logic and by appealing to um, uh, our our better natures, you know, not just coming in and saying this is wrong. You got to do it right. Um, and their their exchange is so 
fantastic. Um, you know, we, we won't do it justice here. Uh, you just really have to watch the episode again and again and again. But at, at the end, Spock saying one man cannot summon the future. Kirk saying, but one man can change the present. That is fantastic. Um, and uh, again, at the end uh, of that exchange, in every revolution, there is one man with a vision. Uh, you have a choice of tyranny or freedom. I, all of it is just golden. Um, you brought up the Corbomite maneuver earlier, and this made me think of that as well. Very different circumstance, but the same idea here of saying you have to do the thing that is hard. You know, you, you have to do the thing that you think will be the most difficult in order to be better. It's fantastic. It's just great. I am told that now is the time when John and Ken try to figure out the messages, morals, and meanings of this week's episode. That sounds like the kind of thing people would do in this totally weak, ridiculously lame universe. I want to go back to my universe, please. Alright, so here's that moment that we always look forward to every week. We get to ask each other a couple questions about the episode that we just covered. So Ken, I kick it off to you. Does this episode hold up? How do you mean? <laughs> I mean as a production. Does it hold up as a story, as a production, as a piece of entertainment? Yes. <laughs> okay. Is that all you got for me? <laughs> no, it, it, it's sort of a qualified yes. Um, turn your mind off as far as the whole alternate universe thing goes, and you'll have more fun with this episode. Mm -hmm. I love thinking about alternate universes and time travel and the whole thing, you know, the back and forth between them. I think that's probably part of the reason that I enjoyed uh, the alternative factor um, more than you and more than a lot of people, because I really groove on those things. Mm -hmm. Um if you're somebody who really likes thinking about alternate universes, this actually, oddly enough, is not the episode for you. Even though this sort of sets the tone for alternate universe fiction, as you said earlier. I mean, just for pop culture, from the time that this episode was on, at least through today, and, you know, who knows how far, how much further in the future. Um, if you actually like to think about them logically, it, it doesn't work for that part. But... Turn your turn your head off from that, and yeah, it's kind of awesome. I mean, the the the, the differences in the in the outfits, and you know, what's up with Sulu's scar? Yes, I would say it works, but you know, don't think about it too close. Now, yeah. the other way that it does work, it pays off so much in that uh, conversation that you were just talking about between yeah. uh, Kirk and Spock. And to be honest with you, the episode left me a little flat rewatching it until we got to that. When I got to that end, I mean, there's it, it's it's a it's a crescendo. I mean, it really builds to something fantastic. You know that things are going to go better in that universe because of this, you know, one weird thing. I, I do worry about our universe right. <laughs> because yes. I'm assuming if everything goes well there, then things start going poorly here. But, you know, we can worry about that another time. What about you, sir? Um, yeah, I agree with everything that you just said. I, I mean, certainly Mirror Mirror is one of the most iconic episodes of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. I don't know that if I agree that it is one of the greatest episodes of Star Trek, uh, but certainly the imagery and, and everything is well known. Um, it's a lot of fun. You know, it, it really is 
for the first you know 50 minutes until you get to the last two minutes it's all about the mystery and the struggle and how to undo what has been done and just sort of enjoying the contrast we get to see different versions of the characters that we know and love and we get to see the characters that we know and love struggle against that so a lot of that is just fun to watch um but you know if i had to make a top five list i don't know if this would be my top five it might be in my top 10 or top 20 but you know and, and like i said it's purely just because um because i feel like it is more fun than it is great but it is a lot of fun. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, in that respect, it really does hold up. And the imagery is fantastic. And like you said, they they save it. It's not just a matter of saving it. They just really nail it at the end um, in that speech. It is so powerful and so great to watch. And it's just like this this dramatic moment. Look, I've only got these two minutes. I've been through so much. But I have to leave you with this. It's powerful stuff. Yeah. I really love it. There is one thing, too. Um, we're getting less, uh, and I'm not bashing. So in the last several episodes, we've gotten less acting from Shatner than we've got um, Shatner being Kirk. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I, that's a weird distinction. I don't even know if it made sense the way I said it. But it was fun for the minute and a half that he's playing alt-Kirk. <laughs> on um right. on screen it's just awesome to see him do something else i mean he's pretty much been playing he's pretty much been playing william shatner for the past you know 10 years as we yeah, record yeah. this he's been he's been kind of playing uh, well like we talked about in the supplemental that we did a, a while back mm-hmm. um he's kind of been doing he's kind of been a caricature of a cross between william shatner and captain kirk for the past several years right and uh, kirk in the past few episodes that we've watched has kind of settled into one type of character. It was very much fun to just for even that minute and a half, see him play just completely different. Yeah. Just bonkers, Kirk. Well, not bonkers. I don't mean the mad <laughs> part. I mean the part where he's trying to talk Spock into, what do you want? Power? Come on. What's your game? I know. Well. You. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. I mean, he's playing, he's playing a fully realized different character. Yeah, right. Which right. is which is which is kind of fun to see. So I think that's a that is a sort of an added bonus. But again, as you say, if you've if you've been watching Star Trek, this is definitely not the episode to start anybody on because no, no, I mean, no. then that would lose the fun entirely. I mean, what's exactly. really fun is watching you know the differences and 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 what you know so well. Yeah. And so if, what is what is the message here? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, the message is summed up in that two minutes. I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, it's not a it's not a message episode like you know, like we talk about you know all the time. It's not save the whales or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a there is a message. It's a sermon. It's a two minute sermon at the end, but it's a great mm-hmm. two minutes. Yeah, it, it's that two minutes. You know, one man can make a difference. And like I said, with the Corbomite maneuver, um, it, it's uh, boy. I hate to say this phrase, but I kind of have to that we have to be the change we want to see. <laughs> Man, did I really just say that? I really just said that. Uh, but yeah, that, that's part of the message here. That is the message here. You know, the, it, the good news, right? What's that? Spock starting with the man in the mirror, mirror. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. He's you asking really him to it. change his ways. Um, I, I also think that uh, this tells me that people with facial hair are evil. Actually, it's quite the contrary. The one, oh, really? the one person with facial hair is the one that, that Kirk can go to. 
That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> and, and say, hey, wait a minute. Have you thought about this? And you know why that's going to work? Because he actually has a beard that he can stroke as he thinks about it. <laughs> as he sits contemptively in his little quarters, just staring off into space, not doing anything. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah. Does the message hold up? Yeah, well, I mean, you hope so. I mean, this again yeah. is one of those. This is one of those that you won't know for a very long time. Yeah, whether the message holds up, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean that for us today. I like to think that yes, we can do that. That we can, you know, be that kind of change that we want to be. And certainly, there is, you know, people have been able to do that in the past. So yes, I would say yes, that message holds up. Sadly, you won't always know. Right. You know, I mean, you. I don't know, stand in front of the tank or, or, you know, tell somebody that them treating somebody else differently because their skin color is different or, you know, uh, saying it's okay if that guy and that guy want to get married, you know? I mean, a lot of times it feels like you're just, you're, you're yelling into static if you say yeah. those kinds of things. And yet, I mean, it's stuff like that that does affect change. So sure. Yes. The message holds up. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, it, it is the proof of the message holding up something that is yet to come? That That is the question. But um, the the idea of at least grappling with this, grappling with this idea of, um, you know, using logic and, and doing the work to, again, I'll say it, to be that change, <laughs> <laughs> that does hold up. And... Um, I'll go with what you said, Ken, that uh, people with facial hair are logical, not evil. Although yeah. maybe they're logical. Some are evil. Some are good. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you got to be bad. <laughs> right. Beard or no beard. <laughs> well, hey, next week, we hope that you join us. Where we'll be discussing the apple. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. A final message for you peace-loving people. On behalf of the Empire, under whose glorious reign I serve, get bent. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.